You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we come together under the banner of your word and we cry out and admit and confess that you are our God and earnestly we seek you. Our souls thirst for you and our flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And so we have looked upon you in this sanctuary. Help us to behold your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life and our lips will praise you. Help us, Holy Spirit, to bless you as long as we live. And in your name, help us to lift up our hands in praise and honor to the fame of the glory of your great name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, as we think about the needs of our own church, we pray that you would be with our brothers and sisters in Grove and in Bartlesville you would bless those church plants, that you would strengthen them, that you'd help grow, even as they worship right now, that you'd give Mark the words to say as he leads them in worship, and that you would give Bartlesville at 4 p.m. the words to say, the words to sing, that you would draw them together in love as they try to reach that city with the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us to always be an outward-facing community, looking for how we might help other people recognize that we too are just broken people who have been called by the Lord Christ to faith. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to believe yet again this week and to see the beauty and the grandeur of the gospel, that it would never get old. Father, we pray that you would be with the members of our church who will gather to worship in 20 years from now wherever they may be, some of whom aren't yet even born, that you would help us to lay the groundwork so that upon our shoulders in this small time and space they might stand, and that we might increase, that they might decrease, that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. Help us, Father, to die every week. Lord, I pray that you would help us amidst our work week who are going through the throes of adjustments at work, working with teams, many of whom share our ethics and many of whom don't. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be people of moral character, to operate well within the bounds of our industry in ways that honor you and that you would help us to do excellent work to which you've called us for your namesake. But I pray for colleagues among us that we just have a hard time working with. Oh, Lord, would you give us patience and peace? Give those of us who are in managerial positions the skill to help lead and shepherd them in many ways, just like pastors and elders do. Help us, Father, to help our teams to thrive. Give us good leadership, we ask. Lord, I pray that you'll help those of us who are under um, authorities at work that are difficult right now, that you would give us patience, give us beautiful submission in ways that honor you, and help us to know how we can best push back the darkness of our individual work areas with the light of the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would continue to be with Owasso as the city grows and more and more people move to town. May they find it to be a place of rest. Would you help the churches in this area proclaim Christ and him crucified? Would you help us to be one of those churches where people can come with their brokenness and find a place to rest where they walk out of here not seeing anything but the work of Jesus Christ? So, Father, would you help that to be evident among us? Lord, I pray you'll be with family members this week who went through procedures that you would help them to heal, that you would help them to recover quickly. I pray for Jim Wingo and Bill Ford as they're at home watching. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them in our absence, Lord, that you would draw near and remind them that they're missed in worship. And we pray for the day when they're able to come and join us again. I pray you'll protect those who are traveling and draw them back to us safely. 
Father, we pray for the youth in our church that you'd help RYM this summer to be a wonderful time in their life where they hear and see and understand the gospel in a new way. And you'd help us, those of us with means, to be able to help them, to lean in, to support them in their fundraising in every way that we possibly can. Father, thank you that you love us so much and that you draw us into worship week after week after week after week. Please, Father, do not let this grow rote. Help us to find ourselves amazed again by the beauty of your name, how you, Lord, are so passionate for your namesake that it spills out into our lives and you've invited us into that great drama of redemptive history, a story too good to not be true. So Jesus, catch us up in it, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said together, amen. Uh, Cher Agusto has been, for the past year or so, the facilitator of our women's ministry, and she's going to come now and give us a heads up about several events that are coming up in Trinity's Ladies' Ministry. Cher, share with us. Um, so we have a couple of events coming up. March 2nd is our prayer shower, and um, we're going to be, so we'll, our Policy, that sounds like such a lawyer word, sorry. Um, our, we celebrate um, babies who were born in 2018 and 2019 and then new people who are having babies for the first time or adopting babies for the first time or, you know, that kind of thing. We're not like stuck in our policy. So if you have a question about that, please ask me. But so we're going to be celebrating um, March 2nd with a prayer shower and a baby shower. <laughs> I'm really, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm watching this, but anyways, um, we're doing um, the baby, uh, Palin, the Palins are having a new baby, and so we're going to be having their baby shower, and then we're having, um, uh, we're having prayer books for all the babies who were born in 2018. The women know what I'm talking about, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to breeze past this, and it's 10 to 12, March 2nd at my house. Um, please come if you don't have the prayer cards for the books, uh, get with Amanda Weber and she has prayer cards or we'll have them there. So don't let that stop you. Please come. We'll put the books together there if we need to. Um, the next thing we have is the retreat coming up April 12th and 13th. It's at New Life Ranch and we're pretty excited. We're offering a smattering of classes this year. Um, I wanted to give you a preview of these classes so you could get excited about coming. Um, we have Caroline Royal. She is the, she's the director of women's ministry at River Oaks, and she's going to be talking about the gospel and your body. So what are the implications for our bodies post fall and how does the gospel inform this brokenness? Um, so she's going to be exploring that in her class. Also, we're going to have, um, Joanne Delorier is going to be, um, teaching on, let's see what I have. Sorry, the nurture of our covenant children. So she's going to be talking about intentional and practical ways we can enrich our children's spiritual walk in the context of the covenant and the church. That's going to be an awesome class. Um, then we also have Lydia Johnson. She's going to be teaching on prayer, conversational prayer, experiencing the Father's delight and knowing his voice in the everyday mundane moments of life. And then I'll be teaching a class on how to care for your divorcing friends. Um, so how do we in the church as believers come to care for our divorcing friends? Um, this class strives to give you, the friend, tools on how to talk and pray to your divorcing friends. Um, we're also going to be um, get a preview of how to make kombucha. So pretty excited about that. We have um, the registrations open. If you, in the back of the bulletin is some information. My number, if you have any questions. Um, Please come. I mean, if you can just come Friday or Saturday, we would love that. We just, we like to get together and get to know each other. So it's, it's no pressure, um, but we, we have a lot of fun. We play games and, you know, women's stuff. So please come. <laughs> Thank you, Cher. Kombucha. Ooh, you have to touch the scobies. Oh, gosh, gross. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, then just please forgive me. You can ask me later. Let's greet each other with peace, shall we? All right. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The peace of the Lord be with you always. 
and also with you. Let's stand and say hi to somebody you haven't seen in a long time. We are so glad you're here. As you find a Bible, let's transition and sing this song together as a way to prepare our hearts for the preached word. As we prepare ourselves for the preaching of the word this morning, let's, let's sing Come Thou Found as our prayer this morning. If you have Bibles, would you please take them and open with me to John chapter 1. We'll read verse 35. And the reading this morning will go down through verse 51. Please give your attention to God's word. It is given to you in love. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth 
the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The grass withers and the flowers fade. God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. The Gospel of John, as we're studying during these weeks, has been called a pool in which a child can wade and an elephant can swim. And thus far in the book, through chapter 1, there's probably not, frankly, a better place in Scripture where you can see both of those things are true. The simplicity of Jesus calling his first five disciples is a story that we all know very well if you've grown up in the church for any period of time. But yet the pool here is deep because what John is trying to show us is something beautiful. He's putting the Old Testament and the New Testament together in the story of Christ's ministry and work on earth. It may just seem like Jesus is recruiting five guys. Children can wade. But in it, John is unfolding for us the beauty of redemptive history where elephants can swim. And we find ourselves caught up into this great story where we ourselves have to ask, what is Jesus doing in us? To what is he calling us? How is he challenging us? And so to get there this morning, I just want to lay the text before you and walk through it for a few minutes. And I want to show you first something about the new humanity, the new Israel, and the new presence. Look at verse 35 with me. If you lower your eyes to the text, you see that it says, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples. All of the events from the Jerusalem priests and Levites coming to John the Baptist that we read about last week to um, the miracle of the wedding of Cana, all of this takes place in the first inaugural week of Jesus' ministry. It was a very full week, and we read that the very next day that John was standing with two of his disciples that were following John the Baptist, and he repeats the title he gave Jesus the day before. He says, Behold the Lamb of God. And these two disciples heard John the Baptist say this, and they they followed Jesus. Now, when we read this text, it just seems like, well, you know, Jesus must have had like a Messiah light shining above his head. It made it obvious for people. But it was not the case at all. People, you know, Acts, uh, Acts, uh, later Acts 18 and 19 will tell us that people followed John the Baptist for 25 years. And these, these disciples of John saw Jesus. And what joy John must have had in his heart to see that they actually got what he was trying to teach them. His job was to work himself out of a job. And these two disciples got it, and they followed Jesus. And in the ancient Near East, um, people followed rabbis, kind of like men today follow NFL teams. It was a big deal, or maybe college football. Like, you know, can you imagine, like, can you imagine that if, um, oh gosh, Paul Delorier, who follows the New England Patriots, can you imagine what would happen if Paul says, yeah, I've switched from cheering on the Patriots to cheering on the Giants of New York. Would that ever happen, Paul? Never, he says. Or what if he said, I've even gone to the Dallas Cowboys. Or, um, you know, or Brad Moses. Brad, you know, Brad who just loves the University of Alabama. What if Brad turned from the prodigy of Nick Saban's Alabama Crimson Tide and showed up at church one day and said, you know what? I've decided to follow Lincoln O'Reilly and the Oklahoma Sooners. God forbid. forbid. Oxygen would be sucked out of the room. 
For John's disciples to move from following John to following Jesus was a much bigger deal than what just one verse in the Bible seems to articulate. They were shifting allegiances to rabbis. And they were all Jewish, of course. But they followed men very faithfully and very loyally. And here these men saw something in Jesus and they followed him. Now look at verse 41. What was the first thing that Andrew did once Jesus invited them to follow him? What does it say in verse 41? You can say it out loud. He first found his own brother, Simon. How many of you have brothers? Great. How many of you women have sisters? Yeah. You know how it is when you have a brother, men, or you have a sister, ladies. You dearly love them. You dearly love them. But there's also a sense in which they're your brother. They're your sister. And there's this kind of sibling rivalry that emerges as you grow up. Oftentimes when you're teenagers, you don't really like each other. And then when you're older, you begin to love each other in newfound ways. And here, Andrew finds his brother. What's the first story in the Bible about brothers? The story of Cain and Abel. The story of a sibling rivalry. And what happened in that story? Do you remember it? Adam and Eve had sons, Cain and Abel. And what happened? Cain was jealous of his brother Abel, and he took him away into the wilderness. And what did Cain do? He showed them how to tie a bowline hitch and how to hunt deer and all these great things. No, Cain killed his brother out of jealousy. And sibling rivalries have cursed through the veins of humanity ever since. And here you have uh, Andrew, who is in a sense um, a new Cain, who finds Jesus and immediately what does he do? He runs and finds his brother. And what does God ask Cain back in Genesis God asks Cain after Cain kills Abel. He says, where is your brother? And what does Cain say back to God? Am I my brother's keeper? And the implied answer is, yes, of course. So isn't it interesting here that Jesus calls his first disciple a representative of all humanity, the second Adam, the Lord Jesus, calling all humanity, Andrew, Andros, which in Greek means manly or manhood. Jesus isn't just calling an individual to come follow him. John wants us to know that Jesus is recapitulating the story of Genesis and Jesus is calling of Andrew, who represents all of humanity by his very name, which means manhood. He's calling manhood to do what Cain could not do. And the first thing that Andrew does is what? He goes and he gets his brother. And Jesus slowly but surely is undoing all the destructive nature of the fall. And he is doing it in an amazingly beautiful way that John wants us to get. Think about um, what Andrew says to his brother here. He says to him, we have found the Messiah. And he brings Peter to Jesus. Think about the story of the prodigal son. Remember the story of the prodigal son? If you've been through a Numenverse class, you hear me talk about that. You know, the younger son goes off in wild living, and the, the younger son comes to himself after eating the pods of pigs, and he comes back to his father. And as he crests the horizon, we imagine, the father picks up, you know, his tunic or his shavar kamis, and he runs to his son. And the son starts to regurgitate the speech that he prepared, and the father cuts him off. He says, no, 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 go get the fattened lamb. Go get the best ring and put the robe on him. And the whole story that Jesus is trying to show us is the beauty of grace. Not just in the younger son's life, but especially for teaching the Pharisees, he's trying to get them to identify with whom? The older brother that's still in the house. And he's trying to remind them that who in the ancient Near East should have gone to get that younger brother in the far off land? It wasn't the father. It was the self-righteous older brother who couldn't get beyond his own ego and self-righteousness to lower himself to go and win his brother back to Jesus. To bring him back to his father's house. And here you have Andrew, who is the true older brother, if you will, 
who runs and gets Peter and pulls him to Jesus' side and says, we have found the Messiah. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is recapitulating. He is reshaping. He is reforming in the calling of the 12 disciples all of humanity. For we are to be the agents through which God's new world breaks through. And it begins with Andrew. And as with Adam, God um, asks Andrew a question. In the garden, God asked, where are you? And here, Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said, what are you seeking? And Andrew and the unnamed disciple, who we can't, we can't prove it, but maybe John himself can't be proven or disproven, but it's interesting to think about that John, the unnamed disciple throughout his gospel, may have actually been himself. And they asked Jesus, where are you staying? Again, back in the garden. They asked Jesus the very same question God asks Adam. Where are you staying? And Jesus said, come and see. Where are you abiding? Where are you meno in Greek? Where are you abiding, Jesus? Can we come and be with you, Jesus? And he says, oh, come and see, humanity. Come by my side. And then let's take it further. What else in this text reminds us of the Genesis story? Notice what he says down at the very end of um, uh, verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. And then there's a naming ceremony. The second Adam. Renaming things. You shall not be called Cephas. Do you see how John is a master at helping try to help Jews and Gentiles in writing this text connect what Jesus is doing back the true word who was with God in the very beginning and the living word who comes upon the scene his very first week of ministry. And what is he doing? He is drawing humanity out of the fall to himself. And they are extending God's grace and doing the opposite of what humanity originally did in the gospel. Oh, it's calling the first five men of his um, to be his disciples. But it is far more than that. He is reaching into the Old Testament and pulling the Old Testament and new together and saying, your Bible is not one book of many different stories. Your Bible is one story comprised of 66 books that tells one story start to finish. And it's as though you were to see these little loops go through the Bible. You see Genesis, and then the law, and then you get to the prophets, and then you get to the Gospels. And Jesus just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The Christ shines brighter the further and further you read into it. That's the discipline we as Christians need to read when we read Scripture to see Jesus in every page. So Jesus, in verses 35 through 42, call us to be our brother's keeper. He calls us to a new humanity as Christians, to follow him, to go and win our brothers. How about you? Do you love your brothers enough to go and win them? When Jesus speaks to you or he moves in you or he, he, the Holy Spirit shapes you in worship or, or shepherds you tenderly through a really difficult situation, our default mode ought to be to go and tell others about him. It, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be that we just hold it tight just ourselves. Charles Spurgeon one time said, if a man comes upon the gospel like it's honey and he does not share the sweetness with others, he himself has never tasted its sweetness. The gospel is tasted as you share it and Andrew demonstrates that. Secondly, Jesus doesn't just call us to a new humanity in him. Jesus calls us to a new Israel. Look at verses 43 through 49. The next day, Jesus decides to go to Galilee, and he finds a man named Philip, whose name means lover of horses. I wish I knew why that was important in the text, but it's interesting, isn't it? The lover of horses. And he says, follow me. And Philip, the lover of horses, was from Bethsaida, the same hometown of Andrew and, and Peter. And he finds Nathaniel. The one who is given by God, a Hebrew named brother, or a Hebrew named a friend. And he says, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. And when Jesus sees Nathanael coming to him, what does Jesus say to Nathanael? Behold, 
an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Why would Jesus be, called, be calling Nathaniel an Israelite? Because in his first movement, Jesus is calling his disciples to be the new humanity. And in the second movement, Jesus is calling his new disciples to be the new Israel. To be Jesus' new covenant community. In Genesis, God called Abraham to be set apart to be a blessing. He and all of his sons would receive the sign of circumcision. And they would extend God's presence into the world by the promise that he would be with them. But the son of Abraham did not follow God. Isaac, Jacob, their sons. The whole history of Israel is that God gave them himself and that they continued to leave the one true God and they worship other gods. And here Jesus is taking back the first family of Israel and he's calling in a new family, one that will not be like the original Israel, Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, the one filled with guile, whose name literally means the deceiver, the one filled with guile. And literally, this new Israel that Jesus is calling in Nathanael will begin without a Jacob. It will begin with a Nathanael, one in whom there is no guile and deceit. Do you see the connections that John is trying to help us make between Jesus calling his disciples? Yes, calling men to follow him. But they are a picture of all of humanity in Andrew, and they are a picture of all of Israel in Nathanael. And Nathanael asks Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And whether the fig tree in Greek here is a metaphor for his home or his place of rest or literally his fig tree where he might picnic and rest from the sun under the shade, we don't know. Perhaps it's both. But what's important here is that Jesus knew him, saw him, and called him out. How many tribes of Israel were there? Twelve. How many disciples does Jesus call? Twelve. No coincidence. Jesus calls us out of a new humanity to be the new humanity for him, and he calls us the new Israel as covenant people who have been given all of his covenant promises that we should believe. And finally, lastly, we see a new presence. Jesus calls us into his new presence. Jesus answers him in verse 50. He says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? Oh, Nathaniel, you'll believe greater things. You'll see greater things than these. And Jesus and Nathaniel are already thinking on the same wavelength. And Jesus takes it a step further and says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, the first of 25 times in John, we'll hear that phrase, truly, truly, I say to you. What I'm about to tell you is important, that you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And to what event in the Old Testament is Jesus pulling out to put before Nathaniel and Philip? Of course, it was the story of Jacob. When Jacob was at Bethel, Remember, and Jacob takes a stone, which I've always kind of thought was weird. He takes a stone and puts it under his head to rest. But he takes a stone and he rests his head upon it. And he dozes off to sleep. And he has a dream. In this dream, he sees a ladder bridging heaven and earth. And angels are ascending and descending on it. And he sees the Lord at the top, Yahweh. And the Lord says to him, I am the Lord your God. And immediately Jacob, when he wakes, says, surely the Lord's presence is in this place. This is the house of God. This is Bethel. How awesome in this place. It is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. You heard Harrison read earlier from Genesis. And Jesus, Jesus doesn't say that the angels and, and ascended and descended onto this ladder when Jesus is telling the story to Nathaniel. What does he say that they ascend and descend on, right? The angels of God ascend and descend on what? Verse 51. On him. Jesus is saying, I am the ladder, Nathaniel, that bridges heaven and earth. I am the ladder. I am the way that we bridge our relationship to God. It's through me, the God-man incarnate. He is the Son of Man. 
Jesus, more than any other title, calls himself the Son of Man. John calls himself the son, Jesus the Son of Man all throughout the gospel, as we're going to learn. And Jesus is saying, I am the one who in Daniel chapter 13, who will be given everlasting dominion and glory in the kingdom by the one who is the Ancient of Days. I am the one powerful enough to bridge heaven and earth. A ladder makes communication between two floors possible. In the same way Jesus says to Nathaniel, I make communication with God again possible because I am the ladder. Do you see that in the text? Jesus is calling us as his disciples to be a picture of new humanity for the world. And he's calling us to be the picture of that new humanity by be part, being part of a covenant people, the new Israel, endowed with promises given to us to then go and spread the glory of the kingdom of the Lord Christ to the entire world. It was like this morning I was talking to somebody in the hallway, one of the teenagers, and I said, you know, like, what if you were reading like a dystopian novel where things were really bad and you had like, you had been given the elixir to how you could reverse all the things that went so horribly wrong. It'd be like a cool movie, wouldn't it? And your job was to like try to tell as many people as possible about the solution to this dystopian world. Would it motivate you? Yeah, it'd be awesome. That's us. That's the story of the gospel. We're in this world that has beautiful Beautiful remnants of creation in it, but many horrible aspects of the fall. It saturates everything that we touch. And Jesus is calling us to be a picture of the new humanity, to be a picture of the new Israel, and to be a picture of it because of his new presence. He is the ladder. In the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle, and then they had the temple. And today we have Christ. And for all of us who place our faith in him, we have the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit who is the other comforter who comes to indwell us, to give us his presence. And so in light of the fact that God calls his disciples to be the new humanity, new Israel, and give us a new presence, so also he calls us into those three same areas to be his new humanity, to be his new Israel for the world, and to be indwelt by his presence. And so what are the implications of it for us? What are the implications for it? Well, first, it means that we are part of a new community called out by Jesus. We are part of the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. Will you follow him? In your life, what ladders have you built to ascend to heaven? Would you come off of the ladders? you stop trying so hard to get God to love you? Because in Christ, the true ladder, the gate himself, he can't love you any more than he already does. He loves you infinitely. Would you receive it? Jesus is the ladder. And we as his called out ones are to be people who fall at his feet and find it beautiful. And it motivates us to shape the world. Second, it means that the church is the place of God's presence when we gather for worship. The church is God's ordained means and way of spreading his glory. And when we're all here together, not just when one of us is here together, but as Hebrews 10 tells us, when two or three are gathered, when we're all gathered, there's something about when we come together that we become a picture of the new covenant community again and again and again in worship. And where we are together gathered in worship, there his presence is. And it is his presence that fuels and heals and shapes us, which is why worship is so important, which is why we have to push back against our schedules on Sunday morning to come to worship, to make it a priority in our life so that we can experience the corporate nature of worship in ways that you can't do mediated through screens, but present, physically present, allows us to experience his presence in a very real and tangible way that is unique among all the technologies of the world. We lumber together toward each other, coming together to worship him. Third, it means that the, uh, the church is for all people who believe. Uh, Andrew and Philip, they had, um, uh, they had uh, uh, um, Greek names. And Cephas and Nathaniel, they had Hebrew names. And twice, John has to translate the Aramaic words into Greek. 
so that the Gentile speakers who did not know Aramaic would know that they're part of the story too, that they're included. And so also, as we grow as a church, we need to have eyes to see how we grow more and more diverse as we grow more and more mature. Not just that we're trying to like be visibly more diverse, but we in our hearts are more open to welcome those who may otherwise have nothing in common with us except the gospel, and they're welcomed here. Trinity ought to be a place of rest for the lost, for the letdown, and for the looking. I could go on. I'll just mention uh, two more quickly. Fourth, it means that we are saved by grace, not by climbing ladders. At least 16 different names and titles of Jesus have appeared for us in chapter 1. The Word in verses 1 and 14. The Light in verses 7 to 9. The Begotten of the Father, verse 14. Jesus Christ, verse 17. The Only Begotten of God, verse 18. The Lord, verse 23. The Lamb of God, verses 29 and 36. A Man, capital M, verse 30. The Son of God, verse 34. Rabbi, Teacher, verses 38, 49. The Messiah, the Anointed One, verse 41. Jesus of Nazareth, verse 45. The Son of Joseph, verse 45. The Son of God, verse 49. The King of Israel, verse 49. The Son of Man, verse 51. I mean, God, John is just like piling on adjectives of Jesus to help us recognize. He is the gate. He is the ladder. He is the one who's called us into a new humanity and a new Israel, and all promises are sure and steadfast in him. And lastly, it means that we are called, like Andrew, to go find our brothers. We are all elder brothers, going to win the younger brothers. And as I say in our new members classes, why did that younger brother leave his home in Luke chapter 15? Why did the younger brother in the story of the prodigal son leave home? We don't know. The text doesn't exactly tell us, but it's not hard to imagine that it might have been because of the self-righteousness and arrogance of that older brother who was so hard to be around. I'm out of here. And we wonder why people don't come to church. It's because when they come to the church, they see the same thing the younger brothers saw in that house, a sense of self-righteousness or arrogance. And we as the older brothers, we are the ones who need to be humbled by the gospel again. And that's why the elders of our church and I preach the gospel to older brothers all the time. We assume that there are church people in every service because when you win those older brothers, the house becomes a place to which the younger brothers will now feel welcome. And so we lead in repentance and humility and we see the gospel again and again and again every week, younger brother and elder brother together and alike. Charles Spurgeon, as I mentioned earlier, said, I will not believe that you have tasted of the honey of the gospel if you eat it all yourself. True grace puts an end to all spiritual monopoly. Let thy religion begin at home, Spurgeon continues. Many a tradesman export their best commodities, but the Christian should not. He should have all of his conversations everywhere of the best Savior, but let him have care to put forth the sweetness, the sweetest fruit of spiritual life and testimony in his own family. When Andrew went to find his brother, he little imagined how eminent Simon would become. Oh, dear friend, you little know the possibilities which are in you. You may but speak a word to a child, and in that child there may be slumbering a noble heart which shall stir the Christian church in years to come. Andrew finds Peter. Go also and do likewise. Caring for our children, caring for our families, praying for our family members who do not yet know the Lord and who have run from him. Being the gospel for them in our own humility and repentance. So, at the end of John 1, Jesus calls us into a new humanity. And Jesus calls us into a new Israel. And Jesus calls us into his presence as his people. And John illustrates this when he said in verses 12 and 13, when he said, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Not your family, not your knowledge, not your upbringing, but born of God. Do you see how you've been caught up into this great story? Let's live like it. And if you have not yet believed the story, today's the day of salvation for you. Jesus is here and he's present. He's drawing you into a new kind of humanity and he's drawing you into a new covenant community filled with promises 
that he will make everything sad come untrue through his finished work for us, now in part, and one day completed. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son who is the second Adam who came in the incarnation to lead forth a new humanity in the train of Andrew. Eleven other men to be the new Israel. Would you remind us that you catch us up into that same great drama. And Lord, shape us and mold us. Thank you that you're with us. And thank you that you intend to change us. Would you help us to go and find our brothers? Would you help us to do so humbled that you would call us to abide with you? And so help us to dwell in your presence, we pray. Thank you that you accept us. And thank you that we can leave our rabbis and we can follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, good morning. Uh, before we uh, prepare our hearts for giving, uh, through, for worship through giving, I want to remind you guys that if you look in your uh, bulletins, please fill out this uh, connection card. Um, this uh, not only helps us uh, get connected with you, uh, but also helps us plan for the week, um, things like coffee and, and uh, ways to minister to you as well. Um, you've got to... Uh, uh, contact information on the front and on the back if you uh, have got prayer requests or any reason for uh, the leadership to uh, contact you and minister to you. Please fill those out and put them in the, uh, the basket as it goes by. Also, uh, if you look on page 13 of your bulletin, it kind of gives you uh, at the bottom, it'll give you six ways that you can give to Trinity as well. Um, so keep that in mind as we, uh, so get, we get ready to give. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the freedom to be here, um, to worship you. Uh, we pray that you will uh, prepare our hearts, uh, that we will give out of a spirit of gratefulness and thankfulness and uh, not out of guilt or obligation. Dear Lord, we, uh, we're so thankful um, for the good news that, uh, that you have given to us, that even though we were sinners, that you sent your son down on the earth to die on the cross for our sins. And then you raised him on the third day, according to the scriptures. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, was fully God and fully man, and He was the ladder that bridges our relationship back to God. And He did so by living the perfect life that we could not live in the presence of a holy God, and then dying for us and paying the debt that we owed so that through His finished work, we might be reconciled with God the Lord's table that we come to this morning is a picture of that. Jesus' body, which was given for us, and his blood, which was shed for us, 
They are the elixirs of life. They are the ways that we are strengthened in our faith as we come to them by faith. And so if you are a member of good standing in a church where the gospels preach, then you are welcome to partake of this table. We are so glad you're here. Please come to it in just a moment. There'll be two stations in the front, and there'll be two stations in the back, and the elders will serve you. You'll come around in semicircles, and they will serve you one by one, and then you'll partake together. And then you'll leave your cup on the black tables as you go back to your seat down the outside aisles, and then the next group will come forward. Please don't feel like you need to rush to the front or to the back. You're welcome to stay seated and pray as long as you need to. But do come, because it's the Lord's way of reminding us of His provision for our life to strengthen us. It is a means of grace. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread in the upper room with his disciples and he broke it and he said, take and eat, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it all of you for the remission of your sins. For as often as you do eat of this bread and you do drink of this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he comes again. Christ is the ladder for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He bridges the gap so that we do not have to perform for him. But in light of what he has done for us, we gladly obey what he's called us to do. Using the liturgy on page 14, let's prepare together. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks unto our Lord God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. It is right and good and a joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks unto you, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty, everlasting God. And therefore, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we glorify and we praise your mighty name as we sing. Praise God. If the elders would please come forward as I pray. Father, would you take these elements now and would you set them apart for your glory's sake? Would you nourish us by them? Thank you, Jesus, that you are spiritually present among us to shape us and mold us and contour us and make us more and more like your image, which we are in our identity now, but you are making more and more into our character and our behavior. Now imperfectly and one day perfectly, but Lord, be so gentle with us. Would you be with those who have doubts? Would you help them to run to the table to know of your nearness and of your embrace? Would you be with those who experience your joy and help them to celebrate as they come? And would you be with those who do not yet know you, Lord? Would you open their heart to believe the gospel? Would you help them to run to you in faith? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Before our benediction, let me remind you that out in the cafeteria is a youth silent auction. And there are many wonderful things out there, including, I'm told, that Katie Dye has put forth an, a candle um, of which there is some kind of precious jewel at the bottom of amidst all of the ones that were sold out of the shop where she works. And two of those candles have diamonds in the bottom of them that are worth significant uh, amounts of money. And only one of those diamonds has been found. So it could be the candle that you bid on out there. So be sure to take a stroll through those before, um, before you leave today. Lift up your eyes, receive the benediction, the good word of the Savior who loves you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time, now and forevermore. Let us go forth into Owasso, Tulsa, and the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Go in peace. You're dismissed. <laughs>